It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, I'll be on at 7 tonight. That's why you did not see me at on Fox and Friends this morning. Uh, but we have a busy, uh, a busy series of... Uh, guests to get to, a lot of events to go through. It's going to be an explosive week, we hope, not figuratively, but in terms of news, absolutely. Uh, and of course, it is Martin Luther King Day, and uh, people, many people are off from work, off from school. They want to make it more of a day of service. I can understand that. That's more reminiscent of the man. But uh, all the issues that he fought for are still fr- uh, front and center today, uh, justifiably or not. Uh, People are looking at the riots that took place two weeks ago and say, well, that was race-related. I don't see it that way. Maybe you do. I'll take your calls because I only have Jonathan Turley this hour uh, at 1-866-408-7669. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe that if he were here today, he would encourage us as Americans to learn, to get along, to communicate. Because he said that we would perish as fools if we did not. Uh, That's Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. Today, it seems like America is more divided than ever. Whether it be race or politics, how will impeaching our outgoing president help heal the country? Are we just too divided or will we start to come together and realize that we got to compromise? We're all different, but we're pretty cool. Number two. Well, the Republican Party is broken. It's fractured. It's in the midst of a civil war. uh, And um, it's going to be an ugly several years. And it's not going to be six months. It's not going to be a year. It's going to be years before the Republican Party can put itself back together. Hey, Carl, you're taking me down. I don't know necessarily if I agree with that, especially after an election outside the presidency that went pretty well for the party. Biden's agenda and the future of the Republican Party and with or without Trump. We're going to look at where the GOP is heading and how Joe Biden's team plans for immediate, immediately undo Trump's to immediately undo Trump's four year policies and practices and are ready to spend us into oblivion. Number one. A new CBS News poll includes a startling figure. 54% of Americans say the biggest threat to America's way of life is other people in America. <laughs> I don't even know how you ask that question. The problem with America is the people. The wor- the soil's good. Um, insider attack. Ahead of this week's inauguration, Washington, D.C. braces for unrest, not from al-Qaeda, but from armed American protesters, and they seem to be ready with uh, uh, an extreme show of force, of security. I'll bring you the latest. So I'll give you some numbers. 25,000 National Guard troops from various states are there. 4,000 U.S. Marshals have been deputized. 3,700 Metro Police on duty. 13 subway stations are closed. And you're really not going to get to see the size of the crowd, whether it's bigger or smaller than Donald Trump's or Barack Obama's, because there'll be no crowd. It's all right with Joe Biden. And he wants to get to work, and we'll see how that goes. I love all this talk of coming together. I I mean, I do. No sarcasm. But the only way coming together will work if there's compromise on both sides. You come together, not just saying, I agree to put my values and beliefs aside, and I'll walk with you. No, I agree to meet you halfway, and you meet me halfway. That's called coming together. It's done every day in sports. 
It's done every day in sports with the draft, with trades. We see it every single day in your life. You probably do it. You bought a house? Did you buy a car? Did you get exactly the number you want? Oh, but did the person come down a little bit? Did you buy a house at the exact number you want? Or the person come down a little bit? Or do you really want that house and you overpaid a little bit? That's still a choice. But when everyone just says, no, I'm going to stick with my number, you stick with your number, uh, I'll meet you at the next election, that's really what's happened for the last 12 years. And that, I think, I believe we're ready to have that stop if there's some reasonableness on the other side. So in terms of security, uh, there's a lot of news on security. In terms of people's fear about what's going to be happening, I'm not really sure that anything is really as bad as it seems. They want to show what security does, and their mantra always is, show, show security so high, so impenetrable, that they don't even try. That was the theory with the green zone in Iraq, sorry to make that analogy, and that's the theory today. But what I also wonder about is the people who say, wait a second, let's impeach the president, that'll begin the healing. you got to be kidding me. Begin the healing by impeaching a president that's already out of office? Makes no sense to say it's an urgency and is a danger when you impeach him without a trial, without debate, few hours, and then hold the, the impeachment articles until you get around to it. Don't tell me that's an emergency. It's incredible. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham on one thing he hopes the president doesn't do. Cut 13. I hope we don't go down that road. They chose to go into that Capitol defile the Capitol. President Trump never said, go into the Capitol and try to interrupt a joint session of Congress. That was the choice they make, they made, and they need to live with that choice. Well, the problem is uh, all these people that went into the Capitol, the ones that are saying, I did it for Donald Trump, now want Donald Trump to pardon them. I think Trump would be insane to do that. CNN says he's going to pardon about 100 people. He didn't go through the Justice Department like many do to see how bad they are, like Bill Clinton forgot about that process, Eric Holder at the time, and he paid a political price. This president doesn't seem to pay a, a political price uh, for not to, for doing things his own way. In fact, I saw an NBC poll that says 43 percent overall approval rating, 86 percent among Republicans. Despite being impeached a second time and having that controversial speech I don't believe he ever should have made uh, and the protests that he made on the Electoral College, it turns out, according to Axios, he didn't even believe half of them. So that's a little bit of a problem. So Jamie Raskin is the one who pushed for impeachment. He's the one in charge of impeachment. They say he's a great constitutional uh, constitutionalist. So Nancy Pelosi called on him. What I find amazing is that he wants everybody to say that this is an emergency. We have to impeach the president. We have to send a message to the rest of the world. But when it comes to impeaching the president, he doesn't seem to see a rush. Even Jake Tapper had problems with that uh, with that fact. Here he is, cut 15. I want people to focus on the solemnity and the gravity of these events. Five Americans are dead because a violent mob was encouraged, exhorted, and incited by the President of the United States of America, which yeah. broke into the Congress of the United States, into the Capitol, and came within a hair's breadth of hanging Vice President Pence. I mean, the ears, the, the, the words are still ringing in the ears of the members. Hang Mike Pence. Hang Mike Pence. They, uh, they built a gallows outside the Capitol of the United States. There was uh, an assassination party hunting for Nancy Pelosi. All right. So I, I think the people that invaded the Capitol are despicable people. Uh, you'll never, if somebody wandered in there by mistake, that's different. But these other people that came in with that intention, you say anything against Mike Pence. If you are a police officer, 
You should feel as secure as being in your own house around true Trump supporters. The fact that one officer is dead hit with a fire extinguisher, how can you pretend to listen to Donald Trump and possibly hit a police officer with anything but a handshake? You shake his or her hand. Thank you for what you do. I don't know any police officer that has animus towards the president's behavior because he is not anti-law. He's, I've never heard him say anything against police ever to the point where people are mad at him for not coming down when they do the wrong thing. And that's why I, I found it hard to believe that they were Trump supporters. But they were Trump supporters that went in there. So here's Jamie Raskin. He describes this horrible situation. We have to send a message, and it's an emergency. we got to get this on trial in the Senate, as if we're not in a pandemic. He doesn't have a 100-day agenda, as if we don't have 6.7% unemployment. Cut 20. You said um, the president poses a clear and present danger to the the nation. Um, So if that's true, why has the article of impeachment not yet been delivered to the Senate, and when do you plan to do so? Well, the Senate has not been in session, and so the Speaker is organizing the formal transfer of uh, the articles, and it should be coming up soon. I know the Speaker also considers the president a clear and present danger to the republic. You have no answer. And Jake Tapper, if it was a Republican, said, but where's the emergency? Of course, you got Senator Schumer there. They have a thing. Mitch McConnell's been approached. They come back in on the 18th. Then you say, we're going to ask Mitch McConnell to immediately do this because the president of Mar-a-Lago is a threat to the country. So a few things have emerged about who these people were. If you go to a Trump rally, they're almost never violent unless somebody comes from the other side. And then I'm not approving it, but that's when it happens. But when Trump became president, you really don't have a lot of people showing up who don't like him. They they just usually are his supporters. So how did he get such a big crowd? Well, he put out word to Tea Party Patriots, Turning Point Action, Charlie Kirk's group I've spoken in front of, the Republican Attorneys General Association, uh, who are very well respected, at least six current or former members of the Council for National Policy, CNP, an influential group that for decades has served as a hub for conservative and Christian activists. I spoke there uh, for my books. So they put words out. I've been in front of those groups. Never spoke to the Tea Party Patriots, but I know them. They're not violent. The story has to be told about who got in there. And the president uh, is a little bit of fault because you got to just say the Proud Boys, not my people. All right. Uh, the Boogaloo Boys, not my people. If you are violent, you're not mine. The president got around to it, but didn't do it. But I don't want to spend the whole show talking about that. But that's the reason why security is so high. This is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. So it's a chance to look at where we are with race relations. And I find it pretty astounding that uh, in many ways we are forward thinking. In fact, on this show, we're going to speak to Harold Ford about that. And we're going to speak to uh, Shelby Steele about that, who was an activist in the 60s, has a brand new uh, movie out called Who Killed Michael, Michael Brown. But when you look at race relations in our country, uh, Alveda King had an up close and personal look cut to. I believe his advice would simply be listen Stay attuned to each other. Look to God. You have to remember, Martin Luther King Jr. was a Baptist preacher. Mm -hmm. So he would be telling us to look to God and to pray for those who are in authority so that we can have peaceful lives. And he also said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So as Americans, one race, one group of people still living here in America together, we're going to have to work very hard to see America grow and not be destroyed. Right. So that's the attitude 
that was very pervasive in the 60s and 70s and the great progress I believe our country has made, but we're not able to look at the progress. We're only looking at uh, the areas in which we've got to improve. The relationship between law enforcement and the African-American community has to get better, and I think they're getting there. A lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, cops are in the middle of this. Uh, if there's unrest in an area and they have to go in, and if it's mostly an urban area, the people that come in are part of the discipline who win at one time it was parents and then it was uh, people in the neighborhood. Uh, now it is cops in many situations because of the fractured uh, African-American family in many circumstances. But that really was reinforced by Hawk Newsom, who was a government official, uh, a college graduate, very bright guy, but also I think reminiscent of what the Black Lives Matter movement is that a lot of people say is counterproductive. Cut three. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it, all right? And I could be speaking uh, figuratively. I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. Like, let's be very real. And, and, and let's observe the history of the 1960s. When black people were rioting, we had the highest growth in wealth, in property ownership. Think about the last few weeks. Since we started protesting, uh, there have been eight cops fired across the country. So uh, I think there's a protest and there's violence. And the way I understand it, a lot of times it was aggressive cops back in the 60s because of violence. They were mostly peaceful protests. I think it was just the opposite. Night fell and these protests raged. And then when there was no outrage expressed by Democrats, people say, well, what do you want? They're race problems and we blame Republicans for it. And now as horrific as the riots were two weeks in our nation's capital and how horrible that scene was broadcast around the world, you cannot express horror at that and also try to justify you ignoring the horror in Minneapolis, in New York City, in Seattle, in Portland, in Kenosha. Because all of it is brutal, civil unrest, the damage of property, of the burning of buildings, the physical attacks on law enforcement. That has to be condemned along with this. What is so hard about that? I think in many ways race relations got better, but it also happened in the 60s, the beginning of the civil rights movement. And a lot of those policies, even well attended, have not worked out for the African-American family. Worthy of discussion. We'll talk about that in the Republican Party when we get back. one 866 Back with you in just a moment on a very big Monday. Honest commentary. Unique opinions. No agenda. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Well, the Republican Party is broken. It's fractured. It's in the midst of a civil war. Uh, and um, it's going to be an ugly several years. And it's not going to be six months. It's not going to be a year. It's going to be years before the Republican Party can put itself back together. It needs to rebuild. It needs to find a way to take the traditional Republican uh, coalition and, uh, and uh, bring in and keep... Uh, as much of the Trump voters, the ordinary voters who cared about him uh, taking on the establishment and taking on the elites on the East and West Coast. But it, the Republican Party, let's not kid ourselves. Uh, it is in the midst of a civil war. Wow. Carl was so daring. I had to pull that. You know, he's one of our great guests and he's so smart and he's every bit as smart as you think he is and even smarter. But he really, he's really worried about it. Remember, he was one of the, the the Bush people that was able to adjust to the uniqueness of Donald Trump and get behind him. And, and I believe, I don't know for sure, I believe helped the administration in many ways. But he cannot agree with the way President Trump acted after the election. Thought he could have won the election, saw uh, that he was rallying at the end. But the way he handled the pandemic and other things, he believed ultimately left him short. But he was very impressed with the 75 million that voted for him. Who wouldn't? I don't believe it's that bad because I believe Republicans had a good election. That the House, they closed in. They were on the doorstep of taking it back. They blew Georgia, but, man, they were supposed to lose the Senate. It's just one of those cycles that was against them, but they won in Maine. They won in Iowa. They won in other places. They won in North Carolina. But listen to this. A new NBC poll. You know NBC hates the president. 43% of voters nationwide give Trump a positive job approval. That's about what he got elected with. He got elected with about 45. He was as high as 47. 35% of voters, including 74% of Republicans, uh, but just 30% of independents and 3% of Democrats believe President-elect Joe Biden did not win the election legitimately. That scares me. 35% of voters, 74% of Republicans believe that Trump didn't win uh, did uh, Biden didn't win legitimately. That scares me because I watched the trouble that George Bush had in 2000 after the Gore stuff. And I watched the trouble that Donald Trump had in 2016 because the other party, the Democratic Party, said illegitimate, illegitimate, illegitimate. The Russians gave it to him. Al Gore really won. He won the popular vote. And it's just an uphill battle. It creates a lot of friction. So that bothers me. I think we got to accept the out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. President, who it is. Uh, fight them where you feel it's necessary. Support them where you can. That's got to be the American way. Now, 9 in 10 Republicans, 87%, give Trump a thumbs up. So it's not really fractured. What you do is... You deal with Trump people, many of which are great people that didn't storm the Capitol. 
and then you go from there. And what you do is try to unite the party because what Donald Trump did, and I'm going to go over it uh, after I talk to Jonathan Turley about the president's chances on impeachment. Uh, what Donald Trump did is do a lot of things that you didn't even did. You got to read Politico today. They write down the ten thing, the things that Donald Trump did that you don't even realize. You don't understand what he did, and how what he accomplished under the wire when he wasn't tweeting, when he was, which he wasn't talking about. He let his policy people do the policy. And he has done a lot of really good things for the country. It wasn't a mistake that we had just about 3% unemployment and dropping. It wasn't a mistake that we had the growth we had. It wasn't a mistake that gas was around $1.20 during his entire term. And I hope if Joe Biden is clear thinking, he won't be such an ideologue and won't try to sideline everything Trump did, especially in immigration, which we'll talk about shortly. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. As the president-elect said, it's important for the Senate to do its constitutional duty, but also to do its constitutional duty to move forward on these appointments, on the urgent action the country needs. Uh, During the last time President Trump was tried, the Senate was able to hold confirmation hearings for nominees uh, during the morning. It was able to conduct other business. Uh, I hope that the Senate leaders, on a bipartisan basis, find a way to move forward on all of their responsibilities. Uh, This impeachment trial is one of them, but getting people into the government and getting action on coronavirus is another one of those responsibilities. Uh, Ron Klain thinks they could do both at the same time, really. get uh, Have a trial, an ongoing trial, an investigation while confirming nominees, getting vaccines out, and controlling a pandemic. While the president, while he tries to jam a stimulus package, have $1.9 trillion down our throats. Jonathan Turley's here, law professor at George Washington University. And, uh, Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you. Um so we don't know what's happening with the Senate and impeachment. Ron Klain thinks they could do both at the same time. Really? Yeah, I, I would. I'm somewhat dubious. You know, I did the last judicial impeachment trial, and we had to, to interrupt that trial in the Senate so that the senators could go out and vote on the nuclear uh, weapons treaty, and that was just one issue. Uh, it was difficult even back then for us to put together the hearings and the ultimate trial uh, for Judge Porteous. Um, So it it would be very difficult. The real question that Ron Klain's uh, interview raises is whether this is truly one of the Senate's duties. You know, uh, Vice President-elect Harris Harris said, we can multitask, but I don't think this is one of those tasks. I do not think that you can legitimately try an ex-president for impeachment. It's not that I think that there's not good faith arguments on both sides. I really do think there are. There are arguments that since the Constitution refers to future disqualification, that leaving office doesn't, you know, um, remove you from the application of the impeachment process. But I think overall, the text and logic makes this trial highly dubious. And so I've written a number of columns saying that, in my view, the best defense for the president would be to simply not show up, to simply say that this is 
extra constitutional and force the Senate to rule on this threshold question of whether you can vote to remove a president who's already left. But what do you mean by not show up? There's no, the president cannot, is not required to put on a defense. It's not an admission of guilt. Oh, so don't show up with a legal defense. Just don't show up. Just don't even. Right. He can simply say, this is extra constitutional. You cannot call me. And one of my columns talks about the first impeachment trial with uh, Senator Blunt. And Senator Blunt was expelled from the Senate. And then they went ahead and tried to impeach him. Blunt went back to Tennessee and said, I'm not subject to impeachment. The Senate had a vote and voted to dismiss the case. Now, there was a second case called Belknap involving the uh, Secretary of War. He raised the same issue because he had already resigned to Secretary of War. That also led to a threshold vote. And about half of the senators said that they did not believe the trial was appropriate. But they went ahead and they tried him and he was acquitted in no doubt because half of them didn't even think the trial was valid. Right. So I guess we would take the temperature of Mitch McConnell first because I could see, Jonathan, him not showing up and them impeaching him, then passing another resolution to ban him for life and say, why should I defend him if he won't show? I mean, you're into the legal argument, but there's a lot of people just staring at their poll numbers. No, I understand that, although – you know, if they have a true threshold argument on the constitutionality of the trial, I think it's rather hard to argue that this is appropriate. And the president, there is no requirement that a president uh, submit a defense. Uh, moreover, that defense has already been articulated. So it's, it's really up to the Senate as much as the president. But the best approach here, in my view, is for the president to, forgive the pun, be blunt uh, with the Senate. Okay, so, all right, that's interesting. I got to tell you, I bet you if Rudy Giuliani uh, has his way, he won't do that. You know, hold on to something, because Jonathan Carl talked to Rudy Giuliani, who is not ruled out to be his impeachment lawyer. Listen to his strategy. Talked to Giuliani about his approach uh, to the trial, what he would do. He said that he would encourage the president to go to that he would bring up all of those discredited claims about voter fraud, uh, claims that Giuliani himself has brought up in courtroom after courtroom around the country and and has uh, been, and have been discredited. He said that if he can prove that the, that those claims are true or that the president had reason to believe they are true, then you can't accuse him of inciting the mob. I don't know how that uh, legal strategy will, will fly, but the, Giuliani also said uh, that he would not rule out the president himself testifying in his Senate trial. Okay, Jonathan, your witness. Is that the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your life? Yeah, since the last Giuliani interview. Uh, <laughs> the, um, I'm, I'm really saddened by uh, where Giuliani is now. Uh, but his appearance as counsel... Uh, in the Senate uh, would, as as Karl Rove has noted, dramatically increase the chances of conviction. Now, the president. Uh, that's very good. That's all, a very clinical way of saying it's all he's off his rocker. You got to be that's the stupidest defense ever. You had 50 courts say it's not worthy of being heard or maybe 60. So let's bring that to the Senate floor and try to save them. 
Well, you know, the president has shown really awful uh, um, judgment when it comes to his counsel and arguments being made. And uh, so I am I am not confident that he will see how completely uh, crazy uh, using Giuliani would be. Giuliani is cited as a virtual co-conspirator. He gave a speech that is being looked at for possible criminal incitement. He is being raised in terms of disbarment in the New York bar. It would be breathtaking. And most of the Republican senators would view it as an act of contempt for their institution. So this so is what he wants to do uh, that. Uh, you know, he can and he can, you know, he can guarantee his own conviction uh, or he can sort of think about this objectively. Uh, and I think that the best course is the one I've laid out in columns. That is, I uh, put everything on red as they say in roulette, um, and he can go to court and potentially reverse any disqualification, get it struck down, I should say, because, you know, there are very strong arguments that he is not subject to this process. Right. Uh, I think he should try to get to your fee, although Fox is not going to let you go. Uh, This is what I hope. Uh, A lawyer to Lindsey Graham, uh, cut 22. My letter to Senator Schumer was pretty simple. You called on all of us to recognize uh, state certification of the Electoral College. I did. All but six Republicans recognized it was the state's job to certify elections. We withstood that pressure. Now I'm asking Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden to withstand the pressure from the radical left, stand down what I believe to be clearly an unconstitutional impeachment of a president leaving office. It will create further division in the country. It will destroy the presidency itself. And if you continue to do this, you hate Trump more than you love the country. So, I mean, that's the urgency. As an American, along with with being attorney Jonathan Turley, do you you side with... Lindsey Graham on this, and do you think Schumer will take him up on this? Well, I'm not too sure about Schumer taking him up because the uh, Democrats are now under huge pressure to hold this trial. Uh, But I agree with him on his premise, with one exception, that as he says, it's wrong to do this with a president leaving office. They will do it after the president has left office. That's the key. I don't have any problem with them doing impeachment in a trial with a president in office. If they think a president has committed high crime and misdemeanor, I have no problem with doing that on the last day. The problem is when you impeach a president and then try to remove him after he's left, because that would allow any shifting majority in a new Congress to go back and impeach and disqualify any first-term president. They could have, you know, if, if Obama only had one term, they could have gone and done that and said he lied about the health care law. You know, these are people who are margin players. They Politicians play the margins and they watch the polls. So I have no faith that they're not going to use this. And when you combine that with the first snap impeachment in the history of this country, an impeachment held without any hearing, without any inquiry, without any look, objective examination of the facts, it's a very dangerous situation. Really is. Uh, Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. 1-866-408-7669. We'll come back and I'll take some calls. 
Uh, there's a lot to discuss we, uh, we haven't really even gotten to yet, uh, so don't move. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There's no topic he won't touch, and there's no opinion he won't engage. It's one of the great joys of my life. Call in with yours at 866-408-7669. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This isn't about D or R, it is about A, America. There's not a lot of programs that get support from the Chamber of Commerce and Bernie Sanders, but that's actually what we've heard in the last 14 hours. Let me say one other thing before you let me go. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of people pulling for this. Your help has been extremely important because not only have you continued to amplify some of the things that we're trying to do here, but you've been in the weeds and you've talked about the very policies that have been knocking around for a long time and that we've finally been able to get together and put into a plan. So I want to thank you for your advocacy as well. Well, Jared, if you're going to compliment me, there's always more time for that in our show. We're going to continue to cover this. Do you know why? Because policy matters. That's how people's lives change. Uh, the Stephanie Rule taking a compliment from Jared Bernstein, uh, who's played a key role in the uh, Biden campaign and will be a, a longtime Biden official. So I'm pretty sure that was an insult to say you've been advocate, you're advocating. I'm not sure that's a job to advocate for a candidate. But now you know why certain people feel as though they've been alienated by mainstream, mainstream media, because the other side is getting propped up. Not only are they being allowed to do things like ignore the Hunter Biden story, uh, they're getting their policies bolstered on international television. Sean, listen on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Sean. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate no it. What's on your mind? Hey, so, so I, I, the fact of the matter is that the fact that they're trying to bring race into this entire this so-called attack, which it, it was, it was a, it, I guess it was an attack on the Capitol, but that's their new word. It used to be quid pro quo. It used to be collusion. Now the big word in the on the left is insurrection. I don't think Donald Trump incited any of that. And yeah, I'm sure without a doubt that some of his supporters were in there, but I I have a really hard time thinking that he had any idea that that would happen. And the fact that the mainstream media is trying to bring race into it makes the division of this country just it, it's it's just disgusting. It's terrible. I know, and Sean, it makes it so much uh, more complicated and brings you to a whole different mindset. What happens is right now most Republicans, uh, more African Americans are in the Democratic Party than, than the Republican Party. So even on percentage basis, if you're a Trump supporter, there's going to be less, uh, less more white people than black people. But they are getting increasing support from blacks, increasing support from the Hispanic community, major inroads for the entire party. I'm going to bring up something else. As horrific as Washington, D.C. raid was, you better be as outraged at Minneapolis, taking the police station in Seattle and Minneapolis, what's happening on a daily basis in Portland. And when the president said you cannot attack a federal building like that and put in National Guard troops, he was condemned by the Democratic 
the Democratic governor and the Democratic mayor. And now they have a daily insurrection. And now the Democratic mayor has turned on the protesters, mostly Antifa, who are now interrupting his dinners at night. So in terms of what Joe Biden will do, he will have a situation where we're in a pandemic. A lot of people have been out of work. These Democratic governors have been shut down way too long for uh, and limited way too much. From gyms to restaurants to delis and bars to retailers. So he wants a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill, $1,400 direct payments, $1,400 direct payments. The question is on $1,400 direct payments, a lot of people will get it and don't need it. They are still working. If I gave you $1,400, you would take it. But what if I told you it was on the the governor's overdraft and there's other people that need it? It's lazy. $20 billion for public transit. $9 Nine billion for cyber, and everybody gets a fifteen gets a fifteen dollar minimum wage. Just keep in mind, you get that fifteen dollar minimum wage from the government, who's running at a deficit, and now you get it from everyday businesses: the dry cleaner, the restaurant, the deli, uh, the Macy's department store. They are at a time when they are hurting. These horrible people called business owners have to pay people to work for them. They will. Not sit there and make a, get a smaller pool because of $15 minimum wage. They will hire less people. They will work personally more because with the $15, everybody gets a raise. Can you let them decide what's workable? And if they lose good employees because they're not paying enough, they will respond or they will go out of business. $400 billion for schools and vaccines. There should be contingent on you reopening. Show me you reopened. Show me your needs. Some don't need it. Some had it in the budget already. The worst idea is to raise the $300 weekly federal unemployment benefit enhancement to $400. So now they have more reasons not to work. I am not trying to starve people who are starving. I'm trying to incentivize people to go back to work when their boss calls and they don't want to go back to the gym to work behind the desk or go back to the, the dental hygienist to work behind the desk because they're getting more to go out of work. I don't blame them. It's not smart government. State and local governments will get $350 billion. Open up first. Show me you're going to try to work your way out of it. I spent the weekend in a county, Miami-Dade County, and they have had their revenues rise 6% despite a 12 o'clock curfew, despite being shut down for three months. When they were allowed to reopen, they did it responsibly. They have as many positive, actually less positive cases than others. There's a danger. They know it, but they're trying to work through it. And these curfews, by the way, are killing these companies, uh, the, especially these restaurants, because the 10 o'clock curfew in many states, Illinois and New York and California, they're not even allowed to open up in California. What good is it doing? They're still being destroyed by this virus. And then all their restaurants are empty. And people have handed the keys back to the landlords who have no rent, who got to go belly up to the banks. So it's just crazy the series of events that's happening. You have to incentivize. You open up, you get this money. You don't open up, you don't get this money. And then you get it to put it in the plexiglass and do the things responsibly. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Martin Luther King Day. It's a Monday. Thanks so much for being here. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Kind of not today off the set of Fox and Friends. This week I'll be on at 7 p.m. Hope you guys can join me now, but happy to be with you uh, right now on this Monday, the Martin Luther King Monday on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York City where nobody works except uh, the lucky few or state workers or city workers. Nobody else is actually around here. And riding the subway at your own peril, if you saw the video over the weekend, a naked man right there, there's a problem, throws another guy on the tracks, they start wrestling. A third guy helps save the day, and this guy, the naked attacker, ends up electrocuted. That's the type of anarchy that is happening uh, in New York City. Maybe it's in Chicago, too. It seems to be happening in Los Angeles, where, get this, crime is up. Uh, shootings were up 786%. we got to get Americans back to work, start reinforcing law enforcement, to, to, to empower them to do their job in a way in which they know how. We've got to get Mayor Bra- uh, uh, Commissioner Bratton back, too. He did great in Los Angeles, New York, he go, and Philadelphia. He does great wherever he goes. So uh, it's going to be a big show today as we try to commemorate the, uh, the 1960s freedom fighter who lost his life. And then we also look at where we're all with race relations today. So uh, let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I believe that if he were here today, he would encourage us as Americans to learn, to get along, to communicate, because he said that we would perish as fools if we did not. Oh, that is great. Alveda King, the niece of Martin Luther King on Martin Luther King Jr. Today. Today, it seems like America is more divided than ever in many respects when it comes to race and politics. How will impeaching the president help anything, being that he's leaving in two days? Are we just going to be more and more divided? What could bring us together? I got some ideas. Number two. Well, the Republican Party is broken. It's fractured. It's in the midst of a civil war. Uh, and um, it's going to be an ugly several years. And it's not going to be six months. It's not going to be a year. It's going to be years before the Republican Party can put itself back together. Uh, Call Rove painting a grim picture. I am not nearly as down. But meanwhile, let's talk about what's going to be happening. The Biden agenda and the future of the Republican Party with or without Trump. We will look at where the GOP is headed and how Joe Biden's team plans to implement undue Uh, actually immediately undo all of Trump's four-year policies that they can. I do not think that they can. Number one. A new CBS News poll includes a startling figure. 54% of Americans say the biggest threat to America's way of life is other people in America. Right. Insider attack. We're worried about Americans now ahead of this week's inauguration. Washington, D.C. braces for unrest. Got armed protests. Uh, state houses are braced for some type of insurgent. I don't see it, but the FBI says they'll be prepared for it. 25,000 National Guard troops in camouflage uh, will surround this inaugural. I'll bring you the latest. Look, uh, it's not great news. Uh, since two weeks ago on that Wednesday when the president had the rally and said march over and let them hear your voice when the Electoral College is going to be banged in, made official, um, things got out of control. I do not believe And I will never believe the president ever intended or thought they even had the capability of getting inside the Capitol. But they did. We see the video and it's horrific. But please understand, you can condemn that video, but not if you didn't. You gave a pass to 
those protesters that decided to become rioters who took the Minneapolis police station, who burned down that city, who burned down Seattle, who took over the area, who tried to take federal buildings. And you mock President Trump and said he was out of line. And he was uh, he was uh, presiding over a, a martial law without jurisdiction in Washington, in Portland, in Seattle, in Kenosha. You can't have it both ways. At least admit you were late to understand that this unrest was not going to benefit America, that was burning down innocent businesses, it was killing innocent people, and the people that paid the price for the most part were those who need it most, burning down, run-down cities. And by the way, that Capitol building is going to be fixed in two seconds. Everything's going to be done. How is Minneapolis doing? How is Seattle doing? I will tell you in New York City, I see more plywood than I see glass. And I will say you those businesses are not coming back. They were having trouble making ends meet because they got shut down anyway. How are they doing in Chicago? It's going to take forever. Why? Because private industry and these cities and municipalities with nothing in their coffers got to rebuild it and they can't. They're actually being charged in some cases to wreck their own buildings so they can rebuild it for somebody else. That's how crazy it is. But this is a a special day, a special day in which many people are off from school. I think all some are off from work. I know banks are closed. And this is supposed to be a day of service and reflection. We'll talk about that. Also, the future of the Republican Party. I was shocked to see an NBC poll that said that uh, 86 percent of Republicans still support the president, 43 percent overall. This is an NBC poll. Look, he got impeached for a second time. His I do not support all the three months of. Uh, I got robbed. Uh, Stop the steal talk since the election because he's been unable to back it up. His legal team's been terrible. His arguments have been ridiculous. They have not been strong. He has not produced the evidence. 60 plus cases, Trump judges and all. I think it's hurt the president's legacy to have these bad, this bad legal advice that he's getting. And if he sticks with Rudy Giuliani for the impeachment, he can guarantee he's going to be impeached because his plan, as Jonathan Call related, I'll, I'll, I'll let you hear it. Talk to Giuliani about his approach uh, to the trial, what he would do. He said that he would encourage the president to go to that. He would bring up all of those discredited claims about voter fraud, uh, claims that Giuliani himself has brought up in courtroom after courtroom around the country and, and has uh, been, and have been discredited. He said that if he can prove that, the, that those claims are true or that the president had reason to believe they are true, then you can't accuse him of inciting the mob. I don't know how that uh, legal strategy will will fly, but the- I know it won't. Bottom of the hour, Harold Ford comes on. Michael Goodwin now. Michael, uh, welcome. New York Post's own, Fox News' own. Michael, is that the stupidest strategy you've ever heard in your life, or do you back up Rudy Giuliani? Good morning, Brian. Um, it, it was not a winning strategy in, in legal courts. Um, I don't think it'll be a winning strategy in the political courts. Um, I think the president, uh, if there is going to be a Senate trial, uh, it seems to me his best argument is his speech. The actual speech that he gave uh, before the riot, I think, was not incendiary. He, it was angry and it was bitter. But he said the word peacefully, and and he clearly, I think, did not anticipate what was about to happen, nor did he stoke that fire to, to make it happen. I do think that uh, the biggest mistakes the president made in this regard were, were two, were that phone call with the Secretary of State from Georgia, where he pressured him, and the conversations he had with Mike Pence, 
where he pressured him to overturn the Electoral College results based on all of these uh, claims put forth by Rudy Giuliani and other members of the legal team. I think those were both inappropriate efforts by the president. But I think the fundamental idea that he was guilty of incitement for an insurrection uh, is fundamentally false. And I think if he if he sticks to that, uh, it will be it will be to his best advantage. I think that's the best argument to persuade the senators. And you bring up um, a great point, Michael, because if they're going to look at every speech, uh, you know, whether it's Vince Lombardi or whether it's uh, you know, whether it's John Harbaugh and they're going to say in that speech, I listened to the coach. I listened to this politician and I went out and shot somebody. I went out and burned down a building or I went to a baseball game and shot every Republican and almost killed Steve Scalise because Bernie Sanders wanted me to. He's a Bernie Sanders supporter. Nobody can withstand that type of uh, that type of case and accusation. That's right. And don't forget, too, Brian, that the the target for this argument um, is is the senators who are Republicans. Uh, It's not uh, it's not for the Democrats. I mean, they've already decided. uh, So this is not a a fair trial in that sense. But you have to make sure that 17 Republicans don't don't vote to convict. But look, I think there even before we get there, there are are arguments about uh, whether this trial would be constitutional since the president will be already out of office. And I think uh, there's something going on with the Democrats in the House. I mean, the fact that Pelosi wouldn't commit to when she's sending it over, um, I think it makes it very hard. And this idea that the Senate can spend half its day on the trial and half its day confirming uh, Biden appointees, I think is not going to work. I I think that if Joe Biden really wants to show that he wants to unite the country, he should publicly urge that there be no trial, that this matter be dropped, that the nation move on. I think that would be uh, a magnanimous sign from him. I think it would be a sign that we want to put the past behind us and we want to move on because he's going to have so many tests. I mean, you can see the migrant caravans forming already. You know China is just going to keep thinking, wow, we can't, we don't, we won't just eat America's lunch. We'll have America's dinner, too. Uh, who knows what Iran is going to do, what Russia is going to do. So for, the, for Biden to be basically countenancing this Senate trial for a president who has left office, I think, is, is just going to open up a can of worms right. for him, make his job more difficult, disunite gotcha. the country even further. I think it would be a huge right. mistake to begin this presidency that way. By the way, China, we could unify. China uh, recorded, I don't believe their numbers, but they recorded economic growth. They, They poisoned the world. Democrats and Republicans can rally around that. When it comes to these caravans, nobody benefits by these caravans. We cannot we cannot run Guatemala and finance Nicaragua and finance El Salvador, and we can't do all that. We've already shown it, and we found a strategy. If the, if we if Joe Biden wants people to come together, he can't just say it. He's got to show compromise. And one way to do it is on immigration. You know Republicans aren't anti-DACA. They know two-year-olds who came here and are upright citizens who went to college. Nobody's looking to kick them out. But they're worried about the ripple effects from it. So what do Republicans ask for? Seal the border first. Guess what the Republican president is almost, has almost done? Sealed the border. 
If Biden gets up and says, I got money here for 350 miles more of fence, I'm going to put another 200 in on my own, and I am going to seal this border because I want to get immigration reform done where Obama and Bush and, uh, and, um, uh, and Clinton couldn't. That, to me, brings a country together. Not say, come together and do what I want. Will he be capable of doing that? It's a very good question, Brian, because uh, we we don't really know what Joe Biden's faculties are like these days. Uh, Leave aside for a second the complications of trying to sell additional wall to the Democratic Party. Uh, But just Joe Biden himself, is he nimble enough? Is he flexible enough mentally that he can make these arguments? Because these can't just be arguments in a speech. I mean, it's going to take a lot of effort. Biden is going to have to come out from behind the desk, out of the basement. He cannot sit alone in the Oval Office. He's going to have to mix it up with people. And I think we haven't seen him do that. I mean, it's it's really one of the most amazing things about this last eight months. That he won. How, yeah, as, as how he, that's right, that he that he won by hiding, that, that he was isolated and still won the election. Uh, it's a remarkable thing, but I still think you can't govern that way. And we don't know if he's what his mental faculties really are. We've seen him an hour, an hour and a half at a time. Can he work a long day? Can we see him in the morning and at night on the same day? Can he take questions from the press? Uh, We haven't seen any of that yet. Michael, I just say overall, the city you live and write about, New York, I had a chance to go to Florida over the weekend for Fox Nation for a shoot there, and I have some footage going to be on 7 o'clock tonight. And I talk to people and business owners. Uh, the, yeah, the hotels aren't full, but there's people. The bars aren't full, but there are people. The restaurants are on full, but they have people. And they're upset about a 12 o'clock curfew. So people, there's plexiglass and there's space. And they, you know what? It's not without the pandemic, but they're able to live with the pandemic. What will it take in reality, knowing what we're dealing with a governor and mayor and what they're dealing with in, in Illinois, Governor Pritzker, what will it take for them to realize that they have to open up their city in order to have a city left? Well, look, I think that uh, two things are are going on, of course. Um, The first is the vaccine, which I think we should call the Trump vaccine because nobody else would have gotten it done so quickly. Um, The second is that Joe Biden, uh, Trump is no longer president, and there's no longer any political benefit from shutdowns. So already you're hearing the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, talking about we have to open up. Uh, These businesses are going to die. Hello, where have you been since March? I mean, you're the one who did this. You're the ones who who are making these onerous rules. So I think that these these Democratic politicians are going to now, they they no longer have a political advantage in, in, in destroying the economy. That's gone now. Joe Biden is in office. Now the, the uh, destruction of the economy falls on him, and it will soon fall on each of you if you don't open up more. And do it sensibly. You know, I'm watching the football games over the weekend, Brian, 
And I think uh, New York had 6,700 fans were allowed at the Buffalo game. Uh, I think that was the lowest anywhere. Now, these stadiums seat 60, 70, 80,000 people. Why can't – if 6,700, what's magic about that? Why not, why not uh, 14,000? Why not 11,000? I mean, all of this is designed to make, make it sound like it's science. It's not science. It's, it's guesswork. Not. It's just laziness. Gotcha. It's just kind of put – shut everything down to exactly. show we're serious. I mean, come on. People are, people are struggling – so long and so hard, and the government has been, in, in many cases, an impediment gotcha. to their lives. Michael, thanks so much. We're lucky enough to be working through it, and we realize how lucky we are every day. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Michael Goodwin. Uh, when we come back, your calls, one 408 7669 then a salute to Martin Luther King Day, Harold Ford Jr. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We have to turn down the capability of these conservative influencers to reach these huge audiences. There are, are people on YouTube, for example, that have a larger daytime, a larger audience than daytime CNN. And they are extremely radical and pushing extremely uh, radical views. And so it's up to the Facebooks and YouTubes in particular to think about whether or not they want to be effectively cable networks for disinformation. And then we're going to have to figure out the OANN and Newsmax problem. You know, that these companies have freedom of speech, but I'm not sure we need Verizon, AT&T, Comcast and such to be bringing them into tens of millions of homes. Um, I, I, this is, you know, allowing people to seek out information if they really want to, but not pushing it into their faces, I think is where we're going to have to go here. I don't ever subject you to CNN unnecessarily, but that was so outrageous, this Alex Stamos, the former FBI, uh, the former Facebook chief security officer, coming out saying, for the good of the country, get rid of all these conservative websites. Uh, OANN, Fox, I, you, I said it, and you probably figured it out too. It's not about President Trump. The biggest, uh, the biggest guy on this, the biggest force on this, will always be Donald Trump. But it's about going down and working their way through. When we come back, I'll also play this. I will play you what the CEO of Twitter and founder of Twitter had to say. He basically admitted Trump is just the start. Is that okay with you? we got to find other ways to communicate. There's a bigger problem here. And this is the, the biggest problem is the shutdown while we try to figure out how to solve it. But just shutting down one side will not work. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I believe his advice would simply be, listen, stay attuned to each other, look to God. You have to remember, Martin Luther King Jr. was a Baptist preacher, Mm -hmm. so he would be telling us to look to God and to pray. 
for those who are in authority so that we can have peaceful lives. And he also said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So as Americans, one race, one group of people still living here in America together, we're going to have to work very hard to see America grow and not be destroyed. Well, uh, that's Alveda King talking about her uncle. And by the way, her her dad did a lot, too, in terms of uh, race relations and race activism in the 60s. Uh, how, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., this is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Most are off from school. Some banks are closed. I think all banks are closed, but we're working. So is Harold Ford Jr., former congressman, Democratic congressman uh, from Tennessee. He was almost a senator there. Now he's in New York City. Uh, congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian, uh, first of all, happy King Day to you. Uh, Happy New Year. We have not spoken in the new year. And happy New Year, all your listeners. And thanks for having me on. Uh, Hope you're safe and healthy and the family is. Right. I've been watching all over the channel. I know it's a a great week for you and your party. I'd feel so much better if you were president uh, because I would know exactly what you're going to do. You're a Democrat who wants to uh, understand that the other half of the country isn't evil. And I think that would be an important attribute. Do you think uh, before we get to Martin Luther King, and I want to talk about that and symbolize the date, do you think that Joe Biden realizes that? You know, I do. Um, and thanks for having me on again. I do. I think that he, if you look at his life in politics, it's been really organized around trying to find agreement, trying to find bipartisan agreement on things. And um, I hope he brings that to the White House. Now, you never can predict what a person is going to do going forward, but you know he's been in politics for such a long period of time. Now, are there elements in politics in the Democratic Party, and even there are those in the Republican Party that don't want to work with, with Democrats? Are there Democrats who want it their way or the highway? Sure. But if you look at you know what Joe Biden did, he won a primary, uh, a presidential primary against – once it narrowed to one-on-one with the person who was, who was perceived to be the leader of the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Now, I think Bernie Sanders is a serious person. I just don't think a lot of his answers are serious enough to solve the big problems. And Joe Biden never embraced uh, some of the, 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 the ideas and proposals that Senator Sanders has that in many ways I don't think will solve the problem and actually cost the country more. So I have, I, have more, I have more confidence. Then you add to it a 50-50 Senate. The country spoke loud and clear. They gave 8 million or 7 million or 6.5 to 7 million more votes to Biden. They divided the Senate 50-50. And they narrowed the majority that Speaker Pelosi has in the House, which yells to me. Yep. And Republicans made gains in some state legislatures that the, the country yelled to me, you guys better work together or we'll make another change two years of, and or four years from today. Yeah, so it's back to the Paris climate change, uh, the Paris climate deal. Masks on federal property. I don't think that'll be a problem. I think most people are wearing masks. Uh, the travel uh, travel ban reverse when it comes to uh, the Muslim community. Uh, XL pipeline. Uh, the rumor is it's going to be shelved again. They're trying desperately to show that it actually is going to be beneficial to the green movement to have this pipeline because it's safer rather than going through the roads. Let's see if they'll be successful. Uh, they're going to extend the pause on student loan repayment. So these are some of the things he's going to do in terms of the stimulus package at one point nine trillion. We just passed nine hundred billion, and we already had I think two. Trillion on the stimulus package, $1,400 direct payments, $20 billion for public transit, $400 billion for school and vaccines. And they're going to give another, uh, they're going to up $400 supplemental on unemployment. So here's my fear let's say their intentions are perfect. I worry the $1,400 direct payment over the $600. Then if you add the unemployment, People are saying, business owners are saying, I cannot get my people back to work for the ones that can reopen. 
Do you worry that this money is not targeted and that $400 billion to va- uh, for schools reopening uh, must be predicated on schools actually reopening? So you said a lot there. I'll, I'll try to address some of it. So I think that the main the main focus of, of the president-elect, soon-to-be president uh, plan is to help distribute the vaccines uh, and to help encourage uh, g- greater vaccine production. At the end of the day, that's what's going to what's going to lead to more vaccine vaccinations will lead to more jobs and will lead to more schools opening, which will lead to fewer evictions, fewer foreclosures, and hopefully give us a greater ability to get our hands around the mental health issues that have that have come out of this uh, uh, prolonged uh, pe- prolonged period of time the country's obviously had to endure. I think the spending that has taken place in terms of the targeting, I think it's hard to imagine an American worker thinking that he or she can retire on five to ten thousand dollars of stimulus from the federal government for the rest of their lives. I mean, in fact, the number is much lower than that. If you look at the, the twelve hundred dollar check plus uh, a six hundred dollar check, that's just round up. That's two thousand. Let's say what President uh, elect Biden will give away is another two thousand. I actually think it's fourteen hundred. So the most you probably get is four thousand dollars. Now, four thousand dollars would be needed in a lot of households and every American, regardless of where you sit on the income spectrum, wealth spectrum, could figure out something to do with that four thousand dollars. But one thing you certainly cannot do is retire on it. So I think the notion that people are not going to want to come back into the workforce, I think it, it has some holes that can easily be poked into it. My focus and my hope is that the president, the new president, focuses on really the dismal failure that we've had. And I give President Trump great credit in reducing the, the bureaucracy around vaccine, uh, uh, helping us to develop a vaccine. But the fact that there was not greater focus on distribution and the notion of just giving the states the responsibility, I think, raised a lot of questions. And in fact, I think the fact that states have so much power uh, with the vaccines, also the fact that states have so much power with voting systems also needs to be uh, looked at going forward. And we may, may need to think about a federal way to help people vote in elections so we get results back more quickly. But your question was different. I, I'm not as alarmed by these numbers. Um, and, and the offset that we come back and want to spend another two to three trillion dollars in June or July, that would mean something is not working. And one thing I know about Joe Biden, having traveled with him to the Middle East multiple times, uh, he will he thinks big. He's daring in his thinking. And if the thinking turns out to be right, he will pursue it. And if the, if the thinking turns out not to be right, he will abandon it. I think that's what you have to hope for in leaders in politics, business, academia, media, wherever it may be. We shouldn't be afraid to try big things. But if they don't work, we also have to be willing to say, you know what? I had good intentions. That didn't work. Here's here's the new path, a new direction we're going to head. And I think Joe Biden's that kind of politician and, and that kind of an American. So with uh, Harold Ford Jr., uh, Congressman, what did you learn about race relations and civil rights growing up in Tennessee? A lot. I represented the district, um, Memphis, where Dr. King was assassinated. In fact, Dr. King, most people, many people whom are experts in the field of of American history and civil rights sometimes forget, and others really don't know, that a week before he was assassinated, Dr. King was in Memphis. And he, uh, unfortunately, the movement faced a lot of, there was a lot of violence and a lot of of violence and unrest when he was there, which was contrary to whom he was and what what he represented. So he came back a week later to demonstrate that you could have a peaceful protest and demonstration. You may recall the predicate for him coming was a, was a, a strike by uh, sanitation workers in Memphis, and they were uh, striking for more pay and better benefits. So he came to be a part of that movement. His life uh, inspired so many other movements and was a part of so many other movements and manifested itself. I'm reminded of the words of the great freedom fighter, South African freedom fighter, Nelson Mandela, 
who said that re- resentment is like drinking poison and hoping that it will stop or kill your enemies. Uh, Dr. King's life resembled that. Nelson Mandela's life resembled that. He lived it. In fact, he, for- he reconciled with those who placed him in prison for, all- for more than two decades and went on to be- become president of the nation. Had he held on to bitterness and anger and hostility, he would never have been able to do that. Dr. King uh, lived that kind of life. He wanted that kind of life for America. And if there was ever a time in politics when we needed to embrace more of that uh, and to stop drinking poison on both sides, now is, now is very much that moment. And I hope some of the toxicity in our, in our political talk and political culture will give way to people doing uh, what I call the best kind of talking, which is listening. Uh, before talking. So happy King Day to everybody and happy King Day to you, my friend. Congratulations to you on this evening. And I hope uh, I hope the best works out and everything you want. I think you'd be great for that show. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, and hopefully have you on with us. But before you go, I want you to hear a little of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. talk about violence. I will always continue to say that riots are socially destructive and self-defeating. I'm still convinced that non-violence is the most potent weapon available to oppress people in their struggle for freedom and justice. I feel that violence will only create more social problems than they will solve. And he lived that, didn't he? Not only did he live that, he wanted us to live that. And I mean, we lost him at a very, very young age. I think he would be 90, 92 today. If uh, this or a few days ago, he were celebrating his birthday on a long weekend. His birthday is January 15th. Um, but he lived every bit of it. I love when people speculate about what he would want America to look like today, how he would be, be reacting to current crises and current challenges and controversies. I think all of it's fine. But I hope we listen to his words. As we listen to those interpret his words, uh, I think it's important to listen to his words and we all take from it. What I think is plainly obvious and what he's calling for, better America, better angels, better spirits, and for us to listen and to not engage in violence, be it in words or in action. Complicated question, I know, but where are we at with race relations? I mean, most people listening to us right now are judging people on the content of their character. They don't want to be lumped in uh, with the racists in their world. If there are things that they could be more aware of and be more sensible to, they are doing it. That's how I feel. But at you, as a uh, very successful African-American with a very uh, famous family, in the, especially in the South, in politics, how do you feel today in 12, uh, 2021? Look, we clearly have made great, great strides and great, great progress. I think if Dr. King were to look at the makeup of our government, look up, look at the makeup of the, the, last, the last 12 years in government, would be able to point to great successes. Uh, I think he would look at even across the business landscape and, and, and be, be in, intrigued at a minimum and, re, and, and supportive in believing that we've made great progress. But we still have ways to go when you consider uh, the, the plight of, of, of young black children across this country, the homelessness situation. You look at the economic plight and the education plight of so many black families and communities across the nation. The fact that many of our public schools, Brian, have really been resegregated. They're probably even more segregated today, studies show, than they were back in the 50s and the 60s. So, you know, people forget that progress is a constant plight. It doesn't stop because you wake up one day. I mean, the rhythm of life 
the Bible tells us that the rhythm of life is about is about suffering and, and resurrection, about death and resurrection, not literally, but about it's about challenge and overcoming challenge. So we have to always be heading in that direction. And I think there there have been some moments over the last four years where I think a lot of Americans, particularly black Americans, have worried that the train slowed down a bit, that our path, that our that our momentum heading in a direction got slowed or, or was impeded. You know, that doesn't mean you stop and say the experiment is horrible and we need to quit what we're doing. It means we've got to recalibrate and figure out how we keep moving forward. And um, I'm hopeful and I'm a great believer that that's what will continue to happen because the American experiment is the greatest experiment in the history of the world in terms of people being able to live together from different backgrounds, looking different, worshiping different, thinking differently. But we all have some common values and, some, and, and, and things that we're able to rally and organize around, and it's that freedom, it's that love, it's that pursuit of happiness. And Dr. King personified that, I think, as much as any American in the 20th century. And I can only hope um, that that we all aspire to be the best of what he was. He was not a perfect human being. He, he would tell you himself and said himself he was imperfect. But what he strived to make us all do was something greater than ourselves, and it's a plight and a fight and a path that we have to stay on with the same vigor that he showed throughout his life. Wow, very well said. Uh, Hal Ford Jr., I look forward to talking to you again. And, um, yeah, and very shortly, too, I hope you decide soon to run for mayor. When were you going to decide that, or have you decided already? <laughs> there's, a, there's a great group of people running for mayor. Um, I just want to be mayor of my house. I live in a household with four individuals, and I'm the seventh most important person in the house. So if I can move up that list. I'll let you know how, how it's doing, how I'm doing. Well, if you win over your family, you can't win without your family, so that would be the first step. So you're not ruling it out. <laughs> no, they're with me. They're with me. They just make I, – I, they, they, they look for my decision-making last in the house, which uh, I'm thankful. I got the best family. My son is – my daughter is seven. My son is five. And you've all, you always told me when, before I had kids uh, that the, every year the best was yet to come, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm living it. So Right. Uh, it's even – like I thought it was going to get easier as they get older. It actually gets, to me, more challenging. you got to really – I think to myself, is that right? They're like my age now. Uh, now that they're 17, 19, excuse me, Tay 20, Kirsten turns 20, and then Brian is 24. To me, it is, uh, it's much more challenging now, but much more intriguing, and it does get better and better. You'll see. We're in some fun years now, so we, we're enjoying every, every minute of it. Look, the, it. Mayor's, the, 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 who, the mayor's race in New York may be the most important mayor's race in the country in the next year or so because it's the most important city. Uh, in America and amongst the most important, if not the most important in the world. And the leadership there has got to create a renaissance on Main Street, got to create a renaissance uh, and, and help reinvent and reimagine the, the, the great business generators in the city from media to Wall Street to fashion. And we've got to realize that in a city that every borough, that we are one borough now, it's not five, we are one. And we've got to behave that way in the next mayor. Um, has to be cognizant of that and, and put at the center of that, Brian, the notion of public safety and taking care of people. Uh, without that, it's hard to organize it's hard to organize a city mm. and expect success to come with it. Yeah, it would be good if someone tried. <laughs> I, we, I, I get this. This guy sleep until 10, uh, goes into his office and said the most important thing he learned during the pandemic is he needs sleep. I mean, this is some of the worst leadership ever, but I don't want to get into that. We'll talk about that again. Congressman Harold Ford, I hope you're Mayor Harold Ford, or at least try, uh, because if you try, I think you'll be successful. You'll be one of the few that could get some Republicans intrigued and not feel alienated. Harold Ford Jr., thank you. Thank you, brother. Okay, back with your calls in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. There's a great stat recently that um, Republicans estimate that a third of Democrats are LGBTQ, even though only uh, 6% are. And Democrats estimate that um, 38% of Republicans make more than $250,000 a year, even though it's only 2, uh, 2% of Republicans make that much money. So we, we really have been confused by these individual realities that have warped all of our perceptions. Through social media, predominantly. I, uh, Bill, listen on WABC in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Bill. How you doing, Brian? Can you hear me or do I need to get you off speaker? I'm okay with it. It's always good to get off speaker, but you sound good. I am. Okay, I'm off. All right, no, someone has to, like, methodically, logically, and calmly explain to me the difference between burning down a police station, taking over a police station for three months, and what happened in the Capitol. To me, they're the same thing. Without law enforcement, you have no government. And where was the outrage? So, not, I mean, hey, Bill, Bill, happened. not only was there outrage, some said, well, people got to blow off steam. The, they, they, the cops were told by their leaders, their Democratic leaders, abandon the building. They In Minneapolis, abandon the building. In Seattle, abandon the police station. Can you imagine this? Imagine it. It's happening. Pelosi says, well, that's what they do. I mean, what, what, what's, what's happening? Somebody has to explain. I do not see a difference between the police station takeover and the Capitol takeover. Right. We I, all have to admit it's all wrong, right? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. It just doesn't even make any sense. I still don't get why the security wasn't around, why, why it wasn't impossible to breach that building. That's also going to be part of the investigation. But we all got to calm the heck down. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Hey, thanks so much for being here. Coming to you from New York City. Heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show on MLK Day. I know a lot of your schedules are different. Some of you are off from your banking job, from your federal job, and from school. So I appreciate you making room in your schedule for us. Again, for the first time. Or uh, or maybe continuing, despite the fact that your, your schedule is loose. Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour bring us inside Washington as they get ready for an inauguration and the exit of President Trump, as well as the, uh, the vice president going to attend. And we're going to talk about that security and some of the challenges Joe Biden's already being faced with. He doesn't have the job yet. And we're going to be privileged to have, in a matter of moments, talk to Dr. Shelby Steele. His book, uh, his, new, uh, his new movie, um, who Killed Michael Brown is just fantastic. Gives us an idea of race in America as we look at race in America when you think of Martin Luther King Jr. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. So I believe that if he were here today, he would encourage us as Americans to learn, to get along, to communicate. Because he said that we would perish as fools if we did not. 
Uh, there you go, Elvita King, the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. Today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We'll talk about that. And today it seems like America is more divided than ever, whether it's race or politics. How will impeaching an outgoing president help heal our country, I ask rhetorically? Are we just too divided or will we start to heal and realize we're more alike than different? Number two. Well, the Republican Party is broken. It's fractured. It's in the midst of a civil war. Uh, and um, it's going to be an ugly several years. And it's not going to be six months. It's not going to be a year. It's going to be years before the Republican Party can put itself back together. Call Rove weighing in. I don't see things that grim, but he does. Biden's agenda and the future of the Republican Party. We'll talk about that with or without Donald Trump. We're going to look at where the GOP is headed and how Joe Biden's team plans to immediately undo many of what Trump did. Number one. A new CBS News poll includes a startling figure. 54% of Americans say the biggest threat to America's way of life is other people in America. (laughs) Insider attack ahead of this week's inauguration. Washington, D.C. braces for unrest. And most state capitals do as armed protests unfold around the country. I'll bring you the latest. But it's my privilege to bring in Dr. Shelby Steele. Uh, He is... A senior fellow at the Hoover Institute. He has a great movie, a documentary out, which you have to check out, uh, Who Killed Michael Brown. Dr. Steele, welcome back. Well, thanks for having me. What, what are your thoughts today as a guy that uh, took action in the 60s for civil rights and see where we are in 2020 and we look back at the life of Martin Luther King Jr.? What did he mean to you? Oh, boy. He meant, uh, uh, he meant a great deal. I think um, we'd be here all day. One thing I think is often overlooked uh, is that he expanded democracy. He gave us a much bigger, much more inclusive, much larger view of democracy. And um, uh, I, I sort of remember him uh, in, in that context uh, first of all, because it, it, it made him a kind of founding father. He said he took the idea of freedom beyond the boundary of race. Race should never be a boundary to freedom. That's a big, big idea. Uh, and uh, Dr. King, I think, is responsible for bringing that to the world. Yeah, it took 100 years. I mean, there has been progress along the way, but for him to have to say that in the eight, in the 1960s, when it should have been finished in the 1860s, ideal, ideally, is kind of yeah. discouraging in a way, right? It, yes, it should should have been obvious when back in the 1770s. But uh, we're dealing with human beings, <laughs> and uh, what's what is fascinating to me is that it is now a a reality. Um, without sort of really realizing it or recognizing it. We blacks have sort of stumbled into freedom. We're, we are now a free people. Uh, doesn't mean all every every uh, shred of racism is gone, but uh, the the facts on the ground and daily life in America. Uh, and I remember when we were not free. I remember I grew up in segregation. Today, racial persecution does not stunt your life. You can you can do and be whatever you whatever you have the talent for and are really willing to work for, uh, and that's a that's a great human achievement. And um, I think I, I would hope that uh, the, uh, one of the things that fascin- <coughs> excuse me that fascinated me about uh, Trump is that he made room for this uh, in, in in his view of race. He made room for 
for for seizing freedom. He sort of saw that idea as the way ahead in our our racial struggles. Um, I'm not sure Mr. Biden does. He's he's sort of more more tied, I think, to the the idealism of the 1960s than he is the reality of today. Well, uh, Dr. Steele, that your your perception is fascinating because you weren't born that way. This is what your life experience brought you to this point. You didn't get it from a textbook. You got it from life experience. A lot of people listening, including the mayor of Washington, D.C., says race has everything to do with things up, even including the invasion of our capital two weeks ago. I didn't see race yeah. in that. Uh, I don't even actually even those people are Trump supporters. It's pretty clear. But actually, I don't think they did that for race. And I was shocked to see race being brought into a hideous event like this. Did you see race in that? No. Uh, but what, what it, the point that I think it makes, race, the idea of black victimization is power. If you can, and so there is a movement, and the mayor of D.C. is a good example, to expand racism, to see it everywhere, to blame everything on it. The more the more she can do that, the more power she has, the more moral authority. So racism brings this gift of moral authority to to anybody who who, who sees racism, who is against racism, and so it's a it's a tremendous source of power. Uh, and so she wants uh, she wants us to think that the rioters uh, were all Trump people. Um, because that serves her her uh, position as someone uh, who's using racism as power. I want you to hear uh, Hawk Newsom is one of the pe- few people, and I haven't heard many from them, who speak up as a member of the Black Lives Matter movement. Here's what he said on our network in in June. Cut three. If this country doesn't give us what we want, then we will burn down this system and replace it. All right. And I could be speaking uh, figuratively. I could be speaking literally. It's a matter of interpretation. Like, let's be very real and, and, and let's observe the history of the 1960s. When black people were rioting, we had the highest growth in wealth and property ownership. Think about the last few weeks since we started protesting. There have been eight cops fired across the country. Do you mirror his belief and assessment of the 1960s? Uh, It's the 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 exact opposite is true. Study after study, uh, beginning with the Moynihan report, uh, make the point that blacks advanced economically more during the 1940s and 50s and early 60s than they have since the 60s. We've as soon as the 60s hit. As soon as the rioting he's talking about hit, we we began a decline, which we're still in. We're farther behind whites than we ever were. Uh, we have, you know, 75% illegitimacy rate. Um, the, the black family has been pretty much destroyed by uh, the various social programs that, that have been almost forced on blacks. Uh, so he couldn't be more wrong. Uh, the the opposite is true. Uh, when we hit freedom, when we finally got to freedom, and this is this is the the way it always is for for an oppressed people. That moment that they come out of oppression and into freedom is an extremely frightening, tense, 
overwhelming event. And we're still, we as black Americans are still struggling with what I call the shock of freedom. When you find, whoa, you, you mean I can actually plot my life out now without, without weaving it around and through racism? You know what's so interesting? Yes, you can. You know who else has said that? Uh, the, the Irish of Northern Ireland. They spent their whole life, uh, you know, fighting, yes. uh, you know, fighting yes. against the British. And then yes. when they finally had peace, they lost their purpose. Yep. And they really went That's through a right. series of depression and, econ- you know, an economic depression yep. as well as personal depression. I don't know if you uh, see that analogy, but it, but I just was struck by oh, it. That's it, what they yeah, were saying. It's more than an analogy. It's, it is, uh, that's exactly what's happened. In, in, but freedom is the biggest problem right. black America now has. Dr. Shelby Steele with us. We, we, I talk to you forever, but I want to bring this into fray. Doc Rivers, who I've had a chance to meet, he's so bright, so well-liked, now coach of the Sixers, coach of the Clippers. After, after the shooting of, of Jacob Blake, here's what he said after the game. It's, it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country. And this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like, I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. You know, it's just really sad. We've got to do better. Obviously emotional after his game. What would mm-hmm. you say to him? I'd say to him that, that we're too, mired, too, too tied to our victim-focused identity as blacks. That he, he's, he's shedding a tear there, but I don't quite believe the tear. We're better off today than we've ever been in America. We have more opportunities than we've ever. You can't, every little junior college in, in Podunk, wherever, is open to black students, is trying to recruit them, not to mention Harvard. I mean, the whole society is, is hungry to, for, for talented blacks, is, wants, to, wants them to come in. One of the biggest things that's been overlooked since the 60s is that white America has changed. It is, it is, it is not enforcing segregation now. It is tearing it down. It's offering opportunity to blacks. Uh, this, this gentleman is a, is a coach of a professional basketball team. Uh, I remember when I was growing up, he wouldn't be. Um, uh, things have changed dramatically. And instead of crying about the way things used to be, it would be, it would be much better. It would, be, it would serve us much better uh, if, you, if we want, stopped for a minute and celebrated the freedom that it took us four centuries to win for ourselves, and we did win it for ourselves. We have a, a great victory now to stand on uh, if we'll just reach out and take it and stop, stop trying to, to trade on our victimization. Well, he wasn't the only one. The most famous, one of the most famous people in the world right now is LeBron James. Here's what he said after he saw the Capitol uh, being invaded. Couldn't help but to wonder um, if those were uh, my kind uh, storming the Capitol, what would have been the outcome? And I think we all know. Um, it's not even 
There's no ifs, ands, or buts. We already know what would have happened to my kind if anyone would even got close um, to the Capitol, let alone storm in, inside the offices, inside the hallways. As Discouraged? It's what I call inventing victimization when it isn't even there. <laughs> the, 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 the people who rushed the uh, the Capitol building were it was not a black mob. It was not uh, uh, they weren't there. Uh, so he's ha- inventing a scenario of blacks being victimized by the Capitol police to expand this idea of victimization, which sadly is black power. And the media and the world pay attention to that and take it with all seriousness and shed a tear along with him, and everybody goes home. The reality is that blacks are free. That there are. It doesn't mean that there's never going to be any incident of racism. Of course, there's going to be that. And uh, but as I said, racial persecution is not the problem that black Americans face today. Freedom is. Why doesn't he show? The enemy, the broken family that, that public housing contributed to, that school busing contributed to, that expanded welfare payments contributed to. Why doesn't he talk about how those have dispirited black Americans, have, have seduced us away from the reality, the, ch- the real challenges that we, we live with, the opportunities that we have. Uh, so he says, oh, my God, there's, there's some re- remote incident of, of victimization. How much does he make a year in, in professional basketball? $100 million, You know, $20 million a year? Yeah. You know, he, and, he, he makes and he's an entrepreneur. Than, yeah. yeah. And then what uh, else he does? He does movies and everything else because he's an entrepreneur, he, smart guy, surround himself yeah. with great people. I, I, the guy's I, on top of the world. He is. <laughs> in black America, in, in this America. And he says yeah, that and this country's never done anything for me. I'll tell you one last thing. He's on top of the world, and America loves him, is cheering him on. It's not putting him down, not lynching, lynching him. It's supporting him. It likes him. He, he's a great basketball player. And we like you. Uh, Dr. Shelby Steele, you have a very important voice. I'm on Luther King Jr. Day. There's very few people who are better to talk to any day, let alone today. Thanks so much. Well, thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, Back with you in just a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. When you have the son of the President of the United States calling anyone who opposes his, his father a zero and, and promising uh, to uh, come after you in a primary, this ain't going to end uh, quickly and it ain't going to be pretty. And uh, the Republican Party needs to find a way to return to its conservative roots and to update those principles and apply them to the new circumstances in which the country finds itself. But it t- needs to get beyond Donald Trump, and that ain't going to be easy because he's not going to want to uh, uh, retire and uh, and sit on the sidelines. See, I, I disagree in one respect, and that is, you know, the threats by Donald Trump Jr., emotional on the stage. 
I think that Trump would be there uh, along the way, a leader in the party. When they're not in power, it's almost impossible to have a leader. The Republicans have one. A lot of his ideas they agree with. 86% still approve of him. I think you can move in and make room, too. And I think the party's got to have room for Liz Cheney. Anybody who wants to speak up should be able to speak up and not get canceled. John, you're in Michigan. Hey, John. Uh, yes, thank you for uh, giving me your ear. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, I, I have to say something real quick. After listening to your interview of Dr. Shelby Steele, uh, I, I almost feel like I can have nothing of import to say. That man is amazing, and I compliment him. Uh, we need more like him. Uh, we were talking at some point earlier about threats to the republic. I feel that the greatest threat to the republic is the perception of a loss of electrical, uh, electoral integrity. And that perception is personified by the fact that we had an invasion of our capital. It's personified by the fact that we now have a militarized capital. I hear you. Uh, I think that we got to do work on all 50 states to make it better. Florida showed it could be done. North Carolina showed it could be done. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. A new CBS News poll includes a startling figure. 54% of Americans say the biggest threat to America's way of life is other people in America. I mean, who, the CBS does this study. The number one thing is other people in America, not Al-Qaeda, not China, not Russia, other people in America. And that plays into this whole social media situation. And in Facebook and Twitter, there's algorithms to keep people on your list that agree with you. So if people keep giving you information, if Facebook is your reality or a little bit of your reality, if that's your social, especially now when you're not allowed to see everyone, if you're especially if you're a senior or if you have underlying conditions, why take a risk and walk out and go to Costco? So you go on Facebook, you go on social media because it's safer, but what is it doing to you socially? So here is part of the problem with social media is it can be the violent, it can, it can distort your reality, but maybe in some weird way, perhaps unintentionally, it is distorting your reality. Listen to Tristan Harris. Uh, he's the founder of the Center for Humane Technology, extremely well-respected. He's got a movie out uh, now on Netflix, Cut 29. Imagine a husband and wife couple. They follow the same friends on Facebook. Oh. They've got the same friends, so if they open up Facebook, they should see the same feed. But that's not actually how it works. They'll right. actually see completely different realities based on what the algorithms will say, this is the thing that's likely to keep you here. And what that did is took the shared reality we have, put it through a paper shredder, and gave each of us a micro-reality in which we're more and more certain that we're right and the other side is wrong, and it's, it's totally confused us. And think about this. Next time you hear people come up to you who are intelligent people and friends of yours, and they have this one conspiracy theory after another, unsubstantiated, and you think to yourself, where did they get that from? I don't even know where they got that from. And just ask them, are they on Facebook or Twitter or social media or, or TikTok or Snapchat? Here's more from Tristan Harris, Cut30. 
So there's this weird situation we're in where if you let the Frankenstein run without any controls, and so anything goes viral if it gets the most clicks and likes, that just rewards the most conspiracy theories. Alex, you know, YouTube, for example, recommended Alex Jones' InfoWars conspiracy theories 15 billion times, which is more than the combined traffic of New York Times, Washington Post, Guardian, Fox News combined. And when you just realize the scale of, of, of all of that, um, conspiracy theories are especially dangerous because they're like a trust bomb. They warp your perception of everything that comes after it. In fact, the best predictor of whether you'll believe in a new conspiracy theory is whether I already got you to believe in one. And once right. you believe, for example, the election is rigged or it's stolen, then you perceive everything through that lens, and it, it warps all of your perception. Well, look, the numbers are overwhelming uh, when it comes to people who feel so the, that Joe Biden is illegitimate president. It's most Republicans. So, and the reality they're getting is the guy they like so much, 75 million voted for Donald Trump. He's now, if this was the greatest fraud in history, I haven't seen it. Are there irregularities? Yes. But from what I've seen from his legal team, they've done nothing. You ask any of these judges who would have been open to hearing it or did hear it and saw nothing in it. They saw nothing there. And I know this prominent Republican that went up to Rudy Giuliani and said, just show me 2000 dead people that voted. And I will show you that that's just got to be the beginning, and we need a massive investigation. And he's unable to do it. And if you lose by 53,000 and 12,000 and 50,000, and you want people to believe that the state was stolen from you, you have to show that you have actual dead people that voted. Or that people are preventing you from finding that out. And lastly, this is the last one I want you to hear from Tristan Harris. Cut 31. There's a great stat recently that um, Republicans estimate that a third of Democrats are LGBTQ, even though only uh, 6% are. And Democrats estimate that um, 38% of Republicans make more than $250,000 a year, even though it's only 2% 2 of Republicans make that much money. So we, we really have been confused by these individual realities that have warped all of our perceptions. And that's what's coming from social media. You could say intentionally or unintentionally. They're trying to give people what they like to get more ad, to get more clicks in order to get more ad dollars because you have more clicks and you have more eyeballs. But when it comes to news, as opposed to uh, I want to go to this park or visit this country, uh, travel, recreation, sneakers. When it comes to news, the reality is you can't be screwing with these algorithms and giving people what they want. I think there's got to be... He's got to be the freedom of the press with some type of responsibility from the press. But the problem is there's no license for the press. So these obscure organizations, they come out with their reality in order to get funds, in order to exist, in order to grow, are looked at as the same as uh, Fox News and maybe the Washington Times and Washington Post. Paul, listening online in Long Beach, California. Paul. Hey, Brian, good morning. Happy New Year. Back at um, you. Love your show. Um, my comment was just that, uh, and I agree with you, if, you gotta, if you're going to make an extraordinary claim of voter fraud, and I'm a Trump supporter, you got to show the evidence, and nobody showed the evidence, which is infuriating. My point is is that if this, what Dick Cheney said about having to leave Trump behind, and he's echoing, he's saying the same thing a lot of other establishment types are saying. Carl Rove, that was. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, Carl Rove. Yeah, that's 180 degrees wrong. I agree. Um, people put up with Trump's abrasiveness because of his principles. He moved the conservative ball 
We need more. We want someone who's actually going to move the ball, not just talk. And people said the same thing about Reagan. Oh, we're going to be, you know, they were embarrassed by Reagan and they couldn't wait him to get out the door after his second term. We want a conservative. We want conservatives not to get beyond Trump, but to push, move the ball the way Trump moved the ball and pull more voters and, and without the without the rough edges. We want what Trump did without the rough edges. We don't want to get beyond Trump. I agree, and and that's why I cannot wait to talk. To, I think I'm talking to Carl Rove tonight at 7, I believe. He's going to be on the show, and that's why I pulled the cut, because, number one, he is a genius. Uh, number two is he's one of these Republicans, traditional Republicans, who saw what Trump was doing and got behind it, but, you know, saw the other things that you just mentioned and couldn't support it. And he said, man, my goodness, this guy got 75 million votes. He couldn't even campaign. It was his greatest asset. He was in the middle of a pandemic that he's being blamed for. No vaccine. Uh, vaccine was on the horizon, but it, they thought he was making up that a vaccine was actually two weeks away, one week away from being announced. That's true. And he still was able to rally at the end, close the gap and almost win this thing. But the president saw it differently. They said it was stolen from him. And what happened is from 30,000 feet, I get what the president's saying. And I said this before. He's getting the big crowds. He's the one with the momentum. Uh, he's, he's the one with the followers. He's the one with the, with the policies that have benefited America. He's the one making gains in the Hispanic and black communities. Uh, how the heck can a guy that barely campaigned is having trouble speaking, gets on a stage and screams, doesn't really stand for anything except for he's not Trump, beat him? And get more votes than President Obama and Bill Clinton. I understand that. But then dive in. Suburbs were angry at President Trump. Suburban women. That's what it showed up. He lost a lot in the suburbs. He gained in ethnic groups. And in the end, the other guy got more. If some other magical thing happened, like the Kennedys in Illinois in the 1960s, I have not seen it yet. Jack, listen on WFTL in Hollywood, Florida. Jack. Hey, I appreciate your taking the call. Uh, I agree with a lot of what Dr. Steele said. And um, I worked in what we call the hood, uh, unlike most white people. And it's a totally different societal structure. And I I can't even explain it to you. You have to actually live it. Uh, Kids grew up without dads. I was watching court cam, and they had a guy, a defendant. He had 31 children. So if you look at it, let's say you're a, uh, a, a woman, you're 18, 19, 20 years old. It actually pays for you to have a couple of kids without a dad in the home because you get Section right. 8 housing, Medicaid, cash advance, EBT, which is what we Jack, I'll take a step back. Stamps. I'll take a step back. Nobody, no family would say, I have a great idea how to make some money, be a single mom. I think fundamentally, if you could find a way to effectively reestablish the family in all communities, we all benefit because then cops end up being the parent. And if they overreact, underreact or because it gets so overwhelming, uh, they they use the wrong police methods. They become the bad guys or, or women. So I just think that what Shelby Steele has said, written about and did a movie about was when the family fell apart in the 1960s, maybe unintentionally through these civil rights, these economic programs, it was the beginning of a more of a struggle in the black community. And that's what his point is. Say, don't blame the cops. Don't don't blame race. Don't blame skin color. Uh, blame the social norms that allow with was it was a staple in the 1950s. 
to no longer the nuclear family no longer be okay in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. And the after effects were they're part of a system in which they feel they can't get out of. I'm talking in broad strokes. Obviously, not everyone. one 866 When we come back, we'll find out if there's more to know. And on Martin Luther King Day, get some final thoughts. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, We have a lot to go over today. Uh, We did go over on Martin Luther King Day, and we look at race in America, and you heard Dr. Shelby Steele. It's getting a lot of response. He came out there and said, listen, I lived in the 60s. My dad uh, uh, grew up in segregated South. He grew up in the segregated South. He came north. His dad said, never make any excuses, but fight for equality, and he did, and he sees the progress being made. And he took on LeBron James with us. We're going to post this interview online. He took on LeBron James. He took on Doc Rivers. uh, He took on Hawk Newsom. And I think very eloquently he's with the Hoover Institute. Uh, So I think there's other stuff I want want to go over. Keep in mind, I hope everybody enjoys me at 7 o'clock all week this week, 7 p.m. I know everything's different today. Many of you are off from school, from work. Here's something else different. I'll be on at 7, so I wasn't on in the morning, won't be on uh, all week. So... um, with that, just so just so you know, I am not making this up about the role of race in, in the in the raid on the Capitol. I want you to hear what the mayor, uh, the mayor of St. Paul, Minnesota, Minneapolis, I should say, who saw what he saw, saw that the place, his police precinct got taken over, sees the, the tent towns that are there, sees the, what the funding the police has done and saw these so seemingly some uh, radical Trump supporters going to the Capitol and said this, cut 47. I think back to a decade ago when we were having the discussion of whether uh, America is a post-racial society or not, uh, which hopefully we know now is a ridiculous notion. Uh, we know that the, the, the emotions, uh, that the frustrations, that the hatred that we saw pour out uh, in front of our U.S. Capitol uh, just a couple of weeks ago uh, has been simmering underneath the surfaces. Uh, and my hope is that we as Americans uh, finally take that head on, uh, finally really meaningfully address the legacy of race that we have in our country, the continued impacts of our history of systemic racism and systemic oppression, so that we can build a country that really takes seriously the three words that founded our democracy, we the people, meaning mm-hmm. all of us. Right. And he's mayor of a major city. Okay. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call hey. today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. All right, let's start with some sports. Everybody build this as the battle of the quarterbacks. The two future Hall of Famers, Breeze against Brady. In the end, I don't think both played particularly well and their defenses did. Too many INTs for Breeze. Tampa wins 30-20. to 43-year-old Tom Brady goes to his 14th uh, title game. This for the first one in the NFC. Uh, up next, Lambeau Field in Green Bay. He says his blood has thinned. It better get thick for next week. I hear it's going to be in the teens. Uh, of course, congratulations to Brady. By getting this far, it reminds me of Montana when he went to Kansas City, left the 49ers. They said, imagine if he gets to the Super Bowl and plays against the 49ers. He lost in the title game. They're going to be underdogs. So I guess he didn't need the Patriots to do well, huh? No. And Breeze, by the way, is going to NBC. 
right away. You don't away. think he's good? Well, cut 32, he talks about if this is his last game or not. Okay, let's pretend I don't know. Is this your last game? I'll answer this question one time, and that is that I'm going to give myself an opportunity to think about the season, think about a lot of things, just like I did last year, and um, make a decision. Uh, there you go. He's retained. That word is, it's everywhere. He's going right to NBC. He's going to be a great broadcaster, too. Kind of joined us every year at the Super Bowl. You could tell he's ready to do it. He's now 41 years old. He should be five years into his into his, uh, into his broadcasting career. And any other time, I don't know how he's done it. But he's still done well. But why not announce it after the game? Or you think he wants to wait for a bigger moment with NBC? I guess he wants to maybe make sure of it. Also, a lot of these guys don't want to overwhelm the postseason. And they want to wait till after the Super Bowl to make that announcement. Uh, but to me, it's a done deal. Next, Steven Spielberg can breathe a sigh of relief. A judge has granted permanent restraining order against the woman who's been threatening to kill him. According to new legal documents obtained by TMZ, this woman named Sarah Char must stay 100 yards from him and his wife and his daughter for the next three years. They broke the story that Steven sought protection against her after claiming law enforcement told him the woman tried to purchase a gun to kill him. What is with these people? What a crazy world we're in. I agree. I guess the only, what now with social media and the way you just see the threats openly as opposed to these people who used to get just the weird little letters. By the way, 100 but, yards, not enough. No, that's not, not, not far enough yeah, at all. Yeah, one football field away. Next, Dr. Dre back home uh, and back to doing what he does best in the wake of being released from the hospital. Five-time Grammy Award winner. Had a brain aneurysm. And he writes, my big bro is super good. Uh, Dr. Dre, uh, my big bro is super good. I took the picture, so I'm here. That seems to confirm that we've been hearing about Dr. Dre's condition, that he's recovering nicely, and so be, seems to be out of the woods. Ice-T said as much himself, talking on Twitter Friday to let his followers know that he FaceTimed with Dre and that the guy was back home safe and looking good. He was in the ICU for about a week, uh, and his doctors had kept him out of abundance of caution following his brain aneurysm in case he, in case he suffered another health scare. Glad he's doing well, right? That's like you said earlier, it is the scariest thing, right? Brain aneurysms. You seem totally healthy and poof. Yeah. yeah I mean, that's why when you go to a doctor, what are they actually checking? Everyone's always surprised by a heart attack. They're surprised by an aneurysm. Can we check the brain to make sure something's flowing? Why can't we come up with a, a machine for that? I'm not sure. I, I did not get my MD, but uh, I would think it has to do something, right? I don't, no, but don't they say it's this, it's so scary because it just happens. There's no yeah, way to really check for it. extreme headache, and next thing you are, it explodes. I mean, Joe Biden had two of them. It's pretty amazing. Next, Phil Spector, uh, the wacky music producer responsible for the biggest hits in music and the architect of the Wall of Sound, died. Uh, he was getting 19 to life for the murder of Lana Clarkson. Remember this story? And then the floodgates opened. He produced a flurry. Uh, Spectre began his career early, and he was still in high school. He produced the first big hit, To Know Him Is To Love Him, by the Teddy Bears, which I never heard. I don't think I heard. And then the floodgates opened, and he produced a flurry of hits from the Righteous Brothers. You Lost That Love and Feeling, which I remember. Unchained Melody, You're My Soul and Inspiration. But everyone's going to remember him uh, for the Ronettes. And Ronnie Spector, who he mused of abusing, by the way. And then he finally went to jail for shooting this uh, uh, woman, killing her. And he also had a drug problem. I was going to say, you can be talented, but also a bad human being. And what, what was going on? I mean, why can't people be happy with their success? I don't know. And if you have that much of a problem with the person, ignore them. Maybe get the restraining order as opposed to, you know, kill them. Absolutely. I think that's great advice to end with, Allison. Fantastic. That's what I'm here for. I'm just going to jot this down. Thanks so much for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. See you tonight at 7 o'clock. And remember, briankilmeadeshow.com. Listen anytime, anywhere.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.